We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast, sponsored by DraftKings.com. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. It is April 20th, 420. It's also Danny Granger's 35th birthday. <laughs> oh, uh, so we kind of have dueling holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. On this Friday. Um, quite a bit of, of NBA stuff to get to. Uh, we'll try to get this pod wrapped up and posted you know with at least a few hours before tonight's games that's the only issue with these playoff podcasts is as soon as we discuss something another game in the series is played that can completely <laughs> negate uh and you know whatever we talked about typically it doesn't just back up what we talked about um but we had philly blowing out miami mm-hmm. last night in miami a closer game than the final score would indicate it was yeah. 128 to 108 but I mean, Miami was still very much in this game with four or five minutes left. Um, but, you know, like I just said to you a, a few minutes ago before we started recording, Miami hit a lot of tough shots down the stretch in this game. Josh Richardson was really good. Goran Dragic was really good. Justice Winslow was really good in the first half, really didn't do much in the second. He ended up being a, a minus 27, which <laughs> is a little bit misleading. I think so. Um, yeah. But this Sixers offense, I mean, it every time they needed to hit a shot to – to kind of keep this from becoming a closer game uh, than obviously they wanted it to be, they hit that shot. Um, I mean, Bellinelli has been, in terms of degree of difficulty, the, <laughs> some of the shots he's been making, we talked about that on the last pod, but he he has no filter when it comes to shot selection, and for the most part, he's knocking them down. Um, Justin Anderson gave the Sixers some good minutes in the first half. Yeah. Got into it with Dwayne Wade. This was a very physical game. Uh, Wade and Anderson, I think, got double techs. It looked like Wade was the primary instigator I think um, so. in that little scuffle, but in that situation, you're almost always going to get the double text. Uh, Embiid, we should probably mention him. He was excellent. He he was actually hitting a lot of the difficult shots that I'm talking about down the stretch. Like I think he had a kind of LeBron style, um, you know, fadeaway where he he landed like five feet behind where he actually shot the ball from. <laughs> like degree of difficulty on those type of shots is ridiculous. He was 3 of 4 from 3, 10 of 15 at the line. Uh, 
he looked like physically he looked bothered by the mask, but I don't think it really affected the way that he played at all. I don't think so either. Um, and mostly him. I mean, getting at the free throw line 15 times is, I'll, I mean, that's just a lot. Um, he did feel, it seemed like he struggled a little bit, I think, in the first half. Um, I kind of got the sense that he was, I don't know if it was jitters, if the matchup just wasn't great for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, these the the three point shooters for the 76ers have no conscience. Like they shoot anything, degree difficulty, off balance. Like even like Urson does it. Bellinelli's probably the main instigator. Even Sarich throws up some stuff. Covington only took two threes, but he's also another one of those guys who on any night can chuck up ten threes. Five of them being like off balance yeah. contested. Game two was was Covington's. Uh you know, coming out party, I guess, for, for a lot of people who hadn't uh, been familiar with his shot selection. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, the overall, the the Sixers offense is, I mean, clearly one of the best in the entire league. I mean, from a pace perspective, it's on par with right. Golden State, Houston. I mean, Houston, it does a lot of the isolation stuff. That's a little bit different than it used to be. But mm-hmm. um, you, it, it, there just really doesn't seem to be a team... I just can't imagine a team really slowing this offense down on a consistent basis. No, I mean, I remember, you know, it was such a quiet buyout market that the Bellinelli and Urson additions kind of flew under the radar. Um, you know, there were a few teams. I think Urson was considering Milwaukee. And, on, I mean, in retrospect, that actually would have been a huge addition for them. It would have been. Yeah. Um, but I remember thinking, you know, does Philly need these guys? You know, they already <laughs> have shooters. It just seemed like kind of overkill to add Bellinelli and Ilyasova. Um, but Ilyasova was great in games one and two. I mean, they they went small so often without Embiid. Mm-hmm. Just put Simmons out there with four shooters. A little bit less of that in this game. Uh, Ilyasova was kind of in the high 20s uh, in minutes in games one and two. He played 20 minutes in this one. Wasn't quite as effective. Um, and that's obviously going to be the case, you know, when Embiid's in there. Uh, but the fact that Embiid can step out and shoot as well, it it, it was kind of the same effect. You know, you, I, you can reintroduce Joel Embiid into this offense, and I think there were some concerns because of how well Philly had played without him. Like, is that going to mess things up? And, you know, I think, like you said, it took him a little bit to find his footing in the first half, but the fact that he can step out and shoot just as well as those guys we just mentioned, it, it kind of seemed like a seamless, you know, retransition, I guess, if that's even a word, <laughs> to get him back into the offense. And, I mean, at our our basketball state dinner the other night, the the topic of conversation on our end of the table, I know we were kind of on opposite ends, was you know which team in the East when they're playing their best is is the best team, and I think it's Philly, right? I mean, Toronto I, might be more consistent. <clears throat> Cleveland has that gear at times, but I mean, two of the three games that we've seen from Philly offensively, they've looked head and shoulders better than anyone else in the East. I mean, that's I mean that's the main reason I we did the postseason roundtable i picked them going to the finals because i felt like yeah when they're at their best um they are better than any team in the east um and joel yeah joel Embiid being able to hit threes is um and he kind of actually had a down year relative to his rookie year but went three or four um last night that's so huge for for what they do um just because simmons is almost like a lebron in the sense where it's like you just put four shooters around him um and that's your best course of action in a lot of cases um and yeah and and even it even even the guys off the bench as little as some of them play um like tj mcconnell especially tj mcconnell only played five minutes it felt like he played so much more than that um because Very scrappy five minutes it was <laughs> it was though and he uh it was plus seven and um it, they just have so many everyone like knows their role it's just it's just one of those teams where they I, I, they just flow so well. Like Brett Bounce mm-hmm. coached the team so well. He deserves Coach of the Year consideration without a doubt. Um, may not end up winning it because the that voting ends before the postseason. Mm-hmm. But if they got to the finals, then, I mean, I don't see any other case for any other coach. No, no. And like you said, the, the voting, the timing of the voting might affect that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think – I've been surprised by how well the Sixers have played and nothing about the way that they close the season should make this surprising, but like history just shows us that young teams like this, you know, tend to struggle. Don't tend to throw up 130, 128 points, you know, on a pretty good defensive team, a really well coached team, a deep team in Miami. 
Um, and I think more and more people, myself included, are kind of starting to come around to the fact that this this team might just be so talented that you can't really use the historical young team precedent to, to predict how far they're going to go. And then there's the other fact that, you know, six of the eight teams in the East playoffs are just completely, you know, like the Raptors, for example, we have no idea how what to expect from their two best players in the playoffs. Right. The Cavs look like a mess night one, one night to the next. Milwaukee's been a mess. Boston's without guys. Like, things are kind of aligning. You know, it's not like they have to go through this gauntlet, Philly, <laughs> no. to get to the finals. So, yeah, I mean, I, I still, right now, I think I would still pick Toronto. Um I don't have much of a reason for that. <laughs> I think they're deeper. I, I think I'm still kind of going by that, you know, prove it to me and before before we predict it when it comes to Philly. But like I said, it's not like Toronto has accomplished all that much either. No. Um, let's look at other games from last night. The The NBA put Blazers-Pelicans on NBA TV. Um, so this one, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to watch it live. It's also blacked out on league pass. You know, you can do the streams. Um, but you know, you know, this time of year, it's, I, I just kind of went with golden state and San Antonio, which was a game for the first half, but I, there's really not much to say about Blazers Pelicans because all three games of the series, you know, game one was close. Game two was a little bit more of a, a convincing win for the Pelicans Game three was really not close at all. And the narrative for, I think, Portland especially has been completely flipped upside down in the matter of like six days. Yeah. Um, this is really brutal for them. I mean, and this, this, they, because this reminds me of Damian Lillard going to the owner and being like, what's going on here? And then that kind of got swept under the rug. Like nobody talked about it because they went on this massive winning streak where they look like a top three team in the West. Um, but the fact was the roster didn't really change. Yeah. I mean, it, at all, um, the, it, it's not like those roster problems that Damian Lillard apparently was venting about went away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot of that, um, kind of be exposed now in the playoffs, which is generally when those, that kind of thing happens. Right. Um, and so, I mean, they're going to have to go into this up. We're going to assume they lose the series. They're gonna have to go into this upcoming off season, like wondering what they even do because Nurkic is a player option for six million, but I think he's he's probably going to decline that and try to get more money. Um, you have to wonder whether the Lillard McCollum backcourt makes sense at all um, because it's not too like it's kind of the same problems that like Toronto has. If your two best players are point guard, shooting guard, and everyone else is essentially a filler, like does that is is that something that can right. even work? It's just and their roster flexibility is virtually zero with like the Evan Turner Myers Leonard contracts. It's just, um, it's a really like disappointing. It's just really disappointing for them. Yeah, I think you know it, it's tough too because it's not like a you know I, I'm of the belief that the Cavs are going to flame out maybe in this round maybe in round two and it, you're going to look back and say okay LeBron averaged 35 10 and eight and it just wasn't enough you know with what's around him. The Blazers are down 0-3, and it's not like Lillard is lighting the world on fire. Like the issues, the issue with them is that Lillard and McCollum are not playing well. It's not that the supporting cast that Lillard was concerned about hasn't shown up. Sure. I mean, not that they've played well either, but Damian Lillard has 15 turnovers and six assists in his last two games. You know, you're not going to win basketball games like no. that. The the Pelicans defensively, I think, deserve almost more credit. Like I, yeah, I don't think we can just say like, oh, Damian Lillard sucks. You know, he, he's choking in the playoffs. <laughs> like, no, the Pelicans are absolutely swarming him defensively he he said after the game and I think it was Kevin O'Connor on the ringer did a nice breakdown of this that you know teams have trapped him all year but he said he's not used to being double teamed all the way to the hoop and if you go back and watch some of those clips you know holidays on him and then they'll bring a wing up and instead of dropping back once Lillard kind of turns a corner the wing stays with him all the way to the hoop and it's forcing him into bad decisions he's not able to finish at the rim um and he's a guy too that you know a lot of times gets to the rim will get in the air and then kick it out to to a teammate for an open three he's not even getting those options I mean two assists for a guy playing you know 35 40 minutes who has the ball in his hands that much I think that almost says more to me than the shooting numbers which haven't been great you know he's shooting 32 percent for the series um but I, I think you know for the most part you can kind of look at those shots and say I mean he takes 
difficult shots. He kind of subsists on difficult shots. Yeah. Um, and those will kind of kind of vacillate game to game. But um, I mean, if you're the Blazers, do you do you seriously have to look in the mirror? And say you know one of Lillard and McCollum has to go. Like has that has that truly been the issue in this series? Um, I think in the sense that you, I mean, first of all, this is a really bad matchup for them because the Pelicans right. have one of the better guard defenders in the league, and Drew Holiday and Rondo is is good himself um, in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I think you do kind of have to wonder whether or not you should be. I mean, basically, their their best assets are just two backcourt players, and so if if you're matched up against a team that has good backcourt defenders, then you don't have the frontcourt guys to really pick up the slack, and you know it's to the point where it's like, well, we could trade McCollum for you know a stretch for like you know a good center, power forward, small forward, whatever it is, because a lot of these teams that end up doing really well in the postseason have. A good one good backcourt player and then like a better frontcourt player like we're seeing with the 76ers um they're they're a little bit of a strange example because their point guards like 610 but you know you want to most teams that you're going up against don't have someone that can lock down both a frontcourt and a backcourt player right. um you're kind of you're kind of hedging your bets by having both Lillard and McCollum on your team I think yeah yeah and I think the other thing to remember you know this seems I I mean upset it's technically an upset you know I think most people if you pulled let's say 100 writers I think it would have been 80 plus percent pick the pick the uh the Blazers to win this series you know right. maybe not always in four or five games probably in six or seven games but it's also important to remember that the Blazers despite being the three seed finished the year three games better than the Nuggets who didn't make the playoffs yeah. you know so I think this would be viewed in a completely different lens had one game over the last two weeks of the season flipped and Portland was the six and New Orleans was the three. Right. Um, or if, you know, Utah was the team getting beat by New Orleans. Like, I, I think it's important to remember that Portland is probably a little closer to that, that second, third tier in the West than Houston Golden State, even though they're on the top half of the bracket. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe it's not this colossal disappointment because at the end of the day, they're only a 49 win team. You know, I, I think it would have been somewhat foolish to expect them to just run through a Pelicans team that one has the best player in the series yeah and two has I mean now in retrospect has clearly the second best player in the series uh and Drew Holiday which I think I think he is probably the biggest like overall quote-unquote winner so far in like the the court of public opinion through the first week of yeah. the playoffs um I mean you talk about a guy who's I think a lot in a lot of people's mind just a really good role player he's been he's been one of the top five overall players I think in the postseason so far yeah, I mean, you can make the argument that he's. I mean, even in we we kind of talked about this the other day, whether or not like you would take him over McCollum. Like, if you had to just pick one for a year, you know, essentially whether he's better than CJ McCollum, and it's like it's it, depending on the time of year. Like, you ask this question, it, you give vastly different answers. Right. Now, I think Holiday might be. A, I mean, for me, a decisive answer. But before Cousins went down, it was like, well, he definitely take McCollum, but. When he's defending like this, it just adds a completely new dimension where it's it's almost hard to compare him to someone like McCollum. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's because McCollum's like more just like a him and Devin Booker remind me a lot of each other. Um, yeah, well, at least with Booker, you have a little more size, right? You know, and in theory, that helps you defensively. I, you know, there are some comparisons uh, I read today. It's like this is kind of the same position that the Warriors were in with uh, with Curry and Monte, yeah. with McCollum <laughs> obviously being Monte and. <laughs> You know, in retrospect, that, that seems like a like a huge knock on McCollum. But not that long ago, the Bucks traded for Monte Ellis when reportedly had the choice to take Curry or Monte, and they yeah. chose Monte. So we're not that far removed from Monte Ellis being a very well respected NBA basketball player. <laughs> um, do you have any thoughts on Warrior Spurs? I mean, this has just been a complete beatdown. I no, it's, yeah, no. it's just kind of a sad series. I like I tune in, I watch some of it, I see it happen. Like Durant just making a ton of shots, basically, you know, it, it's just. I just I don't understand how anyone thought San Antonio was going to win this series or even compete in this series. I mean, there is. I, I think the Warriors kind of lulled everyone to sleep with how poorly they played over the last month, and if there was any question as to whether they could flip the switch, that was answered like three minutes into game one. <laughs> And they they haven't even played all that well. I mean, they've shot the ball pretty well from two point range. Like you said, Durant's gotten he's gotten whatever he wants against this defense. 
Uh, but even last night, I mean, they win this game easily and went 10 of 32 from three. Uh, Iguodala and Durant were, were two of 11. Thompson was only three of six, which for him is, you know, really not all that much. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that they're going to get Curry back next round. It sounds like if they do, it would be probably toward the end of that series. We can probably start talking about them versus New Orleans mm-hmm. just by virtue of, you know, teams being up 3-0 in these series. It's going to be a fun series. In in the end, maybe not knowing what we know now, but if you would ask me a week ago, I think I would have said Portland could give Golden State a little more trouble, especially without Curry. Right. Um, but again, I mean, if Drew Holiday is going to defend the way he is right now and Golden State doesn't have Curry... I, I would still pick Golden State in five or six, um, but I think I think New Orleans is is in a much better spot to to at least make this a fight compared to what San Antonio's done through three games. Yeah, I mean, if you assume that you put Drew Holiday on Clay Thompson mm-hmm. and vice versa, so that's like almost canceling each other out sure. to some extent. And then you could try AD on Durant, um, and then because I don't think you're I don't think you're going to die if you put Etwan Moore on Draymond. Like they might try to abuse that, but. Draymond is not the three-point shooter he used to be, and I think I would rather have AD try to guard Durant. Yeah, well, it's like, what do you do with Miritich? Like, is Miritich... Put Miritich on He's acquitted himself fairly well on the defensive end. That does not mean he can guard Kevin Durant. I mean, we'll probably see a lot of Darius Miller and a lot of Solomon Hill on Durant, um, which I I don't like, obviously. I don't think anybody (laughs) can guard Kevin Durant, but... I think you throw those guys in there and like you just kind of tell them like we're not expecting anything from you other than your extreme focus on guarding Kevin Durant when you're in the game. You know, which to me like I I think there's some value in that when like those guys come in they know that's all they have to do, you know, mm-hmm. maybe hit a spot up 3 whereas if you're asking someone like Drew Holiday to run the offense and chase Clay Thompson around, you know, that's when you can start to get into trouble against Golden State. Yeah, and I I I'll be interested interested to see what Steve Kerr does at the center spot yeah because you know that's being switched up so they might and and then we'll see how alvin gentry counters because there's so many different lineup combinations that both these teams can can kind of put out because ad can play you know three positions defensively Mm -hmm. um two on offense um and do we we see the return of Emeka okafor i think we might actually if if kerr goes i mean even if he Kerr even if kerr stays mcgee yeah uh, well, I think they, if he goes Zaza, you know, you then you, like, de- you have to put Okafor you bring out Okafor there. is like Jalen Ramsey as a cornerback. Like you, just, <laughs> you just shadow Zaza with Omeka Okafor, <laughs> and then yeah, then you have you figure out the AD and and Mirtid situation in mm-hmm. regards to Draymond and Durant and Drews on Clay Thompson, and then you just throw Rondo on Iggy, I guess, and yep. um, run it out. It'd be yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, and, and the nice thing for New Orleans is presumably they come in after probably winning this series in four or five you get a, a nice little break and then you, i mean you're really playing with house money if you're in new orleans mm-hmm. and not not that anthony davis and drew holiday I, I doubt that they view themselves as you know underdogs by any means but they're going to come into that series with with no expectations if they're able to steal game one or game two all of a sudden things get pretty interesting um heading back to what was a shockingly great new orleans crowd last night yeah sold out sold out I think the day before or two days yeah. before. Yeah, and I assume it'll be sold out. Um, so they play tomorrow night, I believe, is game four. Um, all right, before we get to tonight's games, DraftKings.com, mm. free six months to Rotowire. If you're a first-time DraftKings user, all you have to do, create a DraftKings account, make a deposit of at least 10 bucks. That'll get you a free six-month Rotowire subscription. You'll also get a free $3 entry to a one-day fantasy sports contest deposited right into your DraftKings account. Just go to DraftKings.com slash Rotowire-2018 to sign up and claim your free subscription today. Where do you want to start with these three games tonight? <laughs> um, you want to start with Milwaukee? Just cause Let's I, start with Milwaukee. You uh, are, you're wearing an authentic Giannis Antetokounmpo jersey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, this is Adidas, though, so I'm a year behind. Right. I never understand with these, these replica jerseys why they make the sleeves so freaking wide i know right? well you know this was a gift so like okay, you know right. i i know yeah. i know you would never personally buy I one personally of those. yeah and but it doesn't even have the fault. m patch it's yeah oh it's a mess I but know. like those those sleeves are like i always think of like Kenyon martin at cincinnati like the sleeves are yeah. a good like four inches wider than they need to be 
And this also goes back to like when the league did the sleeve jerseys a few years ago, RIP. The, like, I remember the, the press release was that like research has indicated that our <laughs> fans are not comfortable exposing their shoulders. Like who, who are these people? Like who is, who is like, you know what? The jerseys are, the sleeves are just not wide enough. Like my shoulders are exposed at these games. And I think thank one, thank God the league went away from those jerseys. Yeah. Um, Anyway, sorry, I did. I wear a T-shirt under your. I mean, I wear a hoodie under. Well, I mean, we live in Wisconsin, so like you kind of almost have to. You're wearing a very effective gray hoodie. Thank you, Jersey. Um, I'm actually going to the game tonight. I feel. Seemed like a much better idea when I decided to go a week ago. Now I'm not. I'm really not sure what to expect. It's a playoff crowd. You know, it'll still be a, a rowdy atmosphere. But if things go like if the Bucks are down ten in the first quarter. I'm a little nervous about how things are going to go because just about everyone in attendance, I'm sure, is one, aware of what happened in game one and two, two, aware of what happened at practice, I guess, shoot around practice on Thursday with uh, Jabari Parker issuing some comments that honestly, in my mind, shouldn't even be controversial, but in today's like sports media landscape are viewed as extremely controversial like (laughs) talking about things like playing time and being on the coach's good side like generally things you just don't hear from players you know because of the the public backlash that tends to come um i again i don't really necessarily have a problem with what jabari said but i think the general perception is like what has this guy done lately to to like earn the right to even say he should be playing and i right. think that's just that's just kind of how those comments came off yeah and especially since it's very known that he doesn't play defense and yeah. so it's like well right when i saw those comments he's like well i wasn't on the coach's good side it's like well it, you don't it's very obvious like <laughs> yeah, it's right, obvious like, to the people watching do you know why that might be do, right um yeah, it's who even knows what what to expect there. I mean, Henson's probably not going to play his back hurts. Right, that came out of nowhere. So, so yeah, well, luckily that's the Bucks' deepest position. They have a ton of centers <laughs> to throw out there. Um, I I was trying to decide. I wrote the the FanDuel article today. Um, and not to brag, not to brag. Um, I put Zeller in there because I mean Zeller's going to play a lot because yes. they clearly have no faith in Thon. Well, even though it's possible Thon gets a start and then plays six minutes, but I think I think honestly what prunty might do because the back your, your back's against the wall at this point henson's out this might be the time where you just throw young at center jabari at power forward do the middleton snell bledsoe thing and just say screw it mm-hmm. and um yeah just put the five sugars around Giannis um and see what happens uh, because as soon as if zeller gets into any sort of foul trouble doesn't play that well um you're pretty much gonna have to go there anyway um because i we've seen what like literally one minute of thon maker this series in garbage time so um i think young at center for a decent stretch of the game may happen yeah i think that's probably for the best you know (laughs) there as as you as you noted in that article which which i read this morning you know boston has the big men to counter that look um yeah. and kind of force the bucks out of it um but at the same time it's like the bucks are also playing with what's hopefully nothing to lose this is a by all means a must yeah. win game three um and I, and I think in some ways if if henson's absence forces them to go Giannis at center that that's for the best overall it also kind of affects this jabari situation like i i don't we're not really sure joel i've never heard joe prunny talk um like I've, i don't know if anyone asked him for his reaction like nobody seems interested in what he has to say about anything um but there are some coaches who would hear what jabari said yesterday and he wouldn't play the rest of the series i don't think that's going to be the case here um partially out of necessity and especially right. more now not that jabari is going to be playing center but henson out you know creates a ripple effect where you're even thinner up front um so we might end up even after all this, you know, the comments, Jabari not playing well in the first two games, we might end up seeing more of him in game three by default, which I think he'll play. Yeah. At this point, I think you just kind of let him loose. There's (laughs) not a whole lot that suggests, you know, he's going to go off and save this team in game three, but I would rather give him that chance than Shabazz Muhammad or Thon Maker. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I actually saw looking at Twitter, the Bucks posted like a nine minute, press press conference is the wrong word of joe prunty mm. uh and the quote that the bucks official twitter pulled out of it was like 
Jabari Parker, as well as everyone else, needs to be ready. You know, that sort of like very... (laughs) It's a bold bold stance. It's a bold stance. He's tough but fair. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, but I... It wouldn't surprise me if Jabari played like 25 minutes tonight just because if, if Giannis plays a lot of center, then Jabari's at the four um, because the Bucks also don't have a real power forward. Um, so they might just go for the try to outscore you approach. Um, and then if, yeah, Boston might try Aaron Baines at center and then get every offensive rebound available. Yeah. And then this game turns into complete nonsense. But I'm sure it'll be just the the tension of the whole thing the strange lineup combinations that Prunty will probably have to Mm -hmm. use it'll be i imagine it'll be entertaining at the very least no absolutely um it makes you wonder like how the series would be going if boston was at full strength i mean (laughs) game two was a whipping (laughs) from start to finish and it was led by guys who like terry rozier at the time he was drafted people thought that was one of the worst picks ever (laughs) jalen brown couldn't really dribble until earlier this year not a positive showing for the Bucks. Uh, let's go to Raptors Wizards. I think the Raptors go up three zero. I I hope Washington has something in them. Um, but I mean that that shot of Wall and Gortat yelling at each other on the bench with Brad Beal just buried in with his head in his hands next to them <laughs> at the end of Game Two. To me, that summed it up. I, I think the Raptors are actually good. I think yeah. they finally have some confidence in the playoffs. Um, and uh, I mean, I think I'd, Raptors probably finish this one off in five. You know, Washington maybe finds a way to win this one or game four. But Toronto, to me, looks, you know, and this isn't a take by any means. They just look like a much better and a much deeper team. Yeah. Um, John Wall plays really well at home. So that might, you know, that might swing at least one game. Um, but yeah, they, Washington, like you said, just really doesn't, I don't think, have the depth to deal with this. And they are having team chemistry issues. Although, you know, allegedly that was just that dis- the the argument between Gortat and Wall was just a discussion about defensive that is fair. assignments. It, did, it didn't look like they were, you know, like screaming at each <laughs> no. other. There was just a lot of like hands up <laughs> like, defensive <laughs> looks like Gortat just like, please don't hit me. Yeah. <laughs> they're kind of, I mean, they're kind of like the Bucks in that way where, you know, I both of those teams could kind of implode from within, it seems like at just about any point. Yeah. There's a lot of like hands up, like, like yeah. oh well sorry like you right. know it wasn't me but like then there's also accusing and passive aggressiveness and like John Wall does the same things that LeBron does and that's you know you know I'm a LeBron guy I've, right. I've made that very clear on this podcast but I mean it there's no defense for like his body language on the court a lot of the times is just terrible but it's LeBron you know and like you <laughs> right. see it you see it after the games like sometimes they'll ask Jr like or Corver whoever you know I think at, at the end of that game when Oladipo uh, JR and Corver blew a switch, giving Oladipo a wide open three. He ended up missing it, uh, which was kind of the difference in the game. But, you know, like never do you hear anyone say, like, yeah, LeBron's body language needs to be better. Yeah, I wish he'd talk to me more nicely on the court. It's always just, oh, well, you know, it's LeBron. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a winner. He wants to win. And you can do that because you're LeBron. John Wall has not, in my mind, and probably in the mind of most, has not really earned the right to do that. And I think, like, if you're, it's pretty easy to imagine if you're a Wizards player, that's where all this you know, reported uh, these rifts between Wall and teammates come from, right? Like if you're being yelled at by someone who's never really won anything, who's been hurt, who turns the ball over, who is, you know, lackadaisical on defense at times, um, you know, I think it's kind of hard to to play with and to kind of respect that guy. Right. Um, and that's somewhat speculation on my part, but there are very few players in the league who have like earned the right to take plays off. Yeah, and sadly enough, I think LeBron is at that point. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah, if you're not LeBron and you're acting like LeBron, that's a very bad right thing to do. Well said. Thank you. Cavs, I was Pacers. just trying to be more eloquent. <laughs> nothing, nothing happened. Look, folks, it's a bad thing to do. <laughs> Cavs Pacers. Uh, so the other night, I mean, the Cavs that first quarter went about as well as possible, right? LeBron right. scored the first like 16 of the game for Cleveland. He had the first 13 of the game in general. And like at the end of the first quarter, they're still only up like eight and the Cavs were down, I think 21 or 19 at the end of the first quarter in game one. Um, and, you know, it felt like one of those games after the first where it was like, all right, you know, Oladipo's got two fouls. LeBron's playing well. Kevin Love was was more aggressive. It felt like, all right, the Cavs will probably, you know, this will be a 10 to 15 point game and they'll win easily. And that was not the case whatsoever. No. I mean, to to play like they did, and specifically LeBron did, 
in that first quarter and then only finished with 100 points. Um, I mean, they still have extreme, extreme issues on offense when LeBron isn't on the court. And that's I think that's ultimately going to be the death of this team. Yeah, I mean, they they the only quarter the Cavs won was the first. Yeah. They lost the second, third, and fourth quarter. Right. Despite Oladipo playing only 28 minutes because he got <clears throat> in foul yeah. trouble. A very conservative 28 minutes. Right. Um, Nate, because Nate McMillan didn't want to throw him out right. there with the fouls. Yeah, and... I think it was Chris Herring on, on the low pod the other day mentioned like Oladipo came out with two fouls early, right? Like right away mm-hmm. picked up two, finished the game with three fouls. Yeah. He's a, I, he doesn't follow that often. Um, and he he was a plus 11, which he was the only starter who was a plus player. He he had six turnovers, yeah. six assists. He didn't even play that well. Right. I mean, but he still managed to make an, enough of an impact. And, um, the yeah, the fact that the Cavs came out so strong early. LeBron scored 46. He had, you know, three turnovers even or only. Um it just no one on the Cavs played uh, like Corver. Corver played really well, but like who else played above expectation? You know, I, I mean, Kevin nobody. Love had a very typical Kevin Love game where it felt like he played well, and then you look at the box score and he's five of sixteen. And he's and never been an efficient eight. player, yeah. right? He, I mean, who knows what's going to be going on with his thumb? Um, yeah, that was like Ty Lue was very adamant in saying he's fine. I. I mean, I'm not suggesting that he like broke his hand or anything, but I just I don't see how he could be in that much pain on a hand that he already broke earlier this year and just be totally fine <laughs> ten minutes later. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Cavs when when LeBron's not out there, they're completely lost. They have no secondary playmakers. Jordan Clarkson was horrible again in this game. He's I think he was the hope was he would be that guy, you know, an extremely light version of Kyrie. Right. When LeBron sits, you can just. Hopefully this guy gets you three or four buckets in a five or six minute span. While Moderately on the efficient, right? And yeah. that just no, that's just out the window. Um, and that's the thing. Like what they, what they really miss with Kyrie, you know, is is those like sixteen points per game that he would just get off of blowing by defenders or yeah. hitting a couple pull up threes. And there's just no one whatsoever to replace that production. I, I still just don't understand. I say this like every single time we talk about the Cavs. I don't understand not going to Kevin Love, even even just to eat up shot clock. Yes, like like they like LeBron's out of the game. They so Love played thirty four minutes. James played James. LeBron played forty minutes. Um, So there was at least six minutes there. Like I, like you said, they're completely lost without LeBron and. Love at least can – he's good enough in the post. Like, you can just have him back people down for, like, 20 seconds of the shot clock, right. and that will probably do you just as much good as trying to run some sort of offense with Jordan Clarkson, like, handling the ball, um, Rodney Hood handling the ball, Jeff Green. Mm-hmm. Like, you you can just run some off-ball screens for these guys and have Kevin Love – Kevin Love's a good passer. Like, it's just the kind of stuff, like, I really just don't understand at all from, from – like, right coaching perspective it's at least a different look like kevin love isn't an efficient post scorer he's not as physical in that regard as he was you know at the peak of his offensive career in minnesota but if the if the other option is a george hill iso or a jr smith um jeff green pick and roll yeah you know like i even if kevin love you know if he let's say he takes 10 you know flailing jump hooks and makes four or five of them i would take those odds over what the alternatives have been uh, in terms of the shots that the Cavs are getting. So, um, you know, to me, I I really think the Pacers probably find a way to win this series. Like, that was the most unconvincing, you know, 46-point game win that, you know, that the Cavs could have had, right? I mean, like, this just seems like a situation where LeBron, he knows his fate, right? Like, I, I think he's going to continue to play well, and I think he also knows that, if and when they're eliminated from the playoffs, it's not going to be on him, which I, I think is something that earlier in his career wasn't really the case. But he's kind of reached a point now, and especially with the way he's playing, that no one's necessarily going to hold it against him. Not that I'm saying he he's going to be okay with losing, but I think he's probably to some degree resigned to his fate. Yeah, and um, yeah, Kyrie really blew this whole thing up. Kyrie really did, <laughs> and so did Isaiah. Ky- and well, so did yeah, Jay Crowder. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, because I don't, you know, I didn't like disagree with any of the trades that the Cavs made. Like, I thought they were theoretically like good trades. Like, you try the, you know, LeBron, Kevin Love, and then just like a bunch of, yeah, you know, role players around him that are in their own right like good at certain, you know, the <laughs> they have good role. Like theoretically, you have roles for them. They should know what they can do in an offense, right. but. Well, what J.R. Smith's role on this team is supposed to be, and like when this Cavs team was like really firing on all cylinders two years ago, he was basically their version of Clay Thompson. You know, not nearly as good as right. Clay Thompson, but they used him in the same way. The other on Wednesday night, he was 0 of two from three. Like if he's if he's not giving you anything there, he was horrible guarding Victor Oladipo one on one. Yeah, he if can. he's not doing either of those two things, why is he out there for 35 minutes? And but and then the other question is like, who do you replace him with? Then then it's Clarkson or it's Hood. Neither of those guys were good either. Um, I mean, I'm with you. I don't think you can really fault Kobe Altman. You know, I think he made the best possible trades. It just speaks to like how bad of a position the Caps were in with with Isaiah and Crowder. Yeah, I would have made those trades. Yeah, even <laughs> even seeing what I see now, I was like, I still would have mm-hmm. in the moment. I think I would have did it too. Yeah, I going for the Caps are going to be unsurprisingly just a complete circus this summer. No matter what happens, I mean, they're not winning the finals. We can clearly rule that out. Whether they get to the finals, whether they get out of this round, whatever, it's going to be wild. Like the Kawhi situation adds, like not that long ago, it looked like LeBron's, like we were, we were narrowing it down. Like, okay, LeBron could go to the Lakers. He could maybe go to the Rockets. The Sixers were kind of this dark horse, or he has to stay in Cleveland. Now that the Kawhi situation, like, adds an entire different element to it. Like, if there's any inkling that Kawhi wants to play with LeBron, like the possibility of those guys teaming up somewhere, Cleveland or otherwise, kind of shifts like the entire landscape with this whole, you know, where will LeBron end up question. Yeah. Um <laughs> LeBron to San Antonio. That way Kawhi stays and you know, it's all I mean, anything's on the table. Like I said, just when it looked like we kinda could map out what would happen or at least narrow it down, like the Kawhi thing happens and now everything is just, you know, anything's on the table now i i would like to propose the conspiracy theory that lebron does not want to play the 76ers because he knows he'll lose to them and then he can't sign with them because then he'll be kevin durant i agree with that but i also think (laughs) i also think that kevin durant going to golden state in some ways gives lebron a free pass to do that oh man because if LeBron went to the Sixers and Durant wasn't in Golden State, yeah, I'm with you. That would look like a it would look like as you know as weak of a move as Durant going to OKC or going to Golden State was. But the fact that the Warriors exist, like LeBron can justify it by saying, like, look, I have to go here. Do you want me to beat these guys? Like, I I'm going to go join the only roster that's good enough to go beat the team that has four All Stars. Yeah, you know, like I think in that way, if they lose to them in the playoffs and he goes there, like people are going to judge it either way. Like that's that's not going to be a good look. I'm not arguing that. I just think he can justify it a lot more easily than Durant could. Right. And LeBron's going to be, what, 34 next year? Yeah. He's not doing this at the, the peak of his prime. powers, which I guess he already kind of did that with Miami. <laughs> I'm not saying it would be a good PR hit. Um, I, I just think it would be a little more well-received. People, people, basketball fans would at least understand, I think, where he's coming from. Oh, yeah. I mean, the team is – him leaving this team, I don't think anyone would blame him specifically right. for leaving this team. Yeah, that's the other thing. He's not leaving – you know russell westbrook and whoever else behind yeah but i actually think i actually think like um history is i don't want to say like absolved durant but the fact that the like they durant left and then russell westbrook won mvp but a lot of people it was pretty controversial and then now he's got paul george and carmelo anthony and it's it didn't really go that well um and i think people can maybe understand like where durant was coming from and wanting to leave yeah i understand him wanting to leave the going to golden state that was that was like really the you know obviously the thing that because he could go into boston he could go in anywhere else mm-hmm. but um I, yeah like like you said i don't think it would be as um dramatic for lebron to go to philly no. and right like i think like you like you hit on the weakness of this Cavs roster makes it pretty forgivable <laughs> right you know i think people are watching the series like damn these guys are terrible you know like i don't think you you didn't really get that feeling uh with okc i mean you would watch there were some possessions where you'd watch russ and be like you know who should have the ball right now probably kevin durant Durant. (laughs) but it wasn't like this full force like everyone else on the roster is just doing nothing type of situation so we'll see i'm sure we will talk several hours over the next few months about yeah where lebron's gonna end up where Kawhi's gonna end up 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I if you had to put put money on it right now, is is Kawhi in a Spurs uniform next year? Um, that's tough. Like the whole of next year, like well, you could trade at the deadline. Like start day one, game one of next year. Game one of next year. I'm gonna say yes. I, I think, think so? he'll be there. Yeah. It does seem like every time something semi controversial gets out, you know, like before game one, it was Kawhi's in New York with his people. You know, some some Spurs reporter, you know, noted that he takes days or weeks to respond to the Spurs calls. And then like two minutes later, it was reported that, oh, there are also Spurs staffers out there with him monitoring his <laughs> progress. It was like, which is it? You know, like, <laughs> right. there's just been no really They're just clear watching re- through a window. Honestly, like, that, like for, for all we know, that could be the case. Like for as much as this has been talked about, there's been very few concrete details that we can all agree on. And, the, right. and to the Spurs credit, you know, they haven't done much to help that pop, especially it's kind of gotten more and more terse <laughs> yeah. with this whole situation. And, you know, I mean, I guess the fact that they're probably going to be bounced in four games means that maybe it quiets down for a little bit, but we'll see. Very strange. Last thing I want to ask you, what do the Pelicans do with DeMarcus Cousins? Is winning one series oh and maybe God. like giving Golden State a good run, like, is that enough to say we have to at least think about the possibility that we're better off with Davis, Holiday, and Shooters than we are with with the Twin Towers? I think that's a very legitimate thing for them to for them to think. I, it's almost it, like it's almost the opposite of the the Portland situation. Like they've like having Demarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis is almost right. like having Lillard and McCollum. Like it's not super similar. Like Davis and Cousins are better than, but um, you have to wonder whether a more balanced roster, at least front court to back court, like wise, is mm-hmm. is the place to go. And with Demarcus coming off the Achilles thing, he's going to be one of the big like one of the biggest players to ever come off an Achilles injury in stature but also like star power too right like they the comp with him is always Elton Brand you know he suffered at the same age roughly the same point in his career but Cousins is better than Elton Brand and very mobile was not driving the ball 30 feet from the basket doing some of the things that like I think Elton Brand's game you know certainly changed after that injury but he was more apt to kind of adapt to that to whatever limitations he might have had whereas cousins with you know if his if one of his feet is at 80 percent, i think he's a much different player he was already like fairly controversial in terms of does this guy help you win yeah and like clearly this isn't going to help that i think he i mean it's possible that he completely changes his style of play i mean we've seen him do it throughout his career like the once he started shooting threes you know like two three years ago very much changed his game and he shot he shot basically 36 percent over the past two seasons I think it's possible for him to I mean be just more of a stretch five like as much as that's not who DeMarcus Cousins is I think if you he's clearly good enough of a shooter like he has the he has the touch if you just have him have fewer responsibilities but turn into a floor spacer himself like he becomes one of the shooters and he can continue just rebounding well, mm-hmm. making smart pat like just make some good passes. Um, like he may not be there in the post, he may not be able to drive quickly, but um, I think I think a lot of it comes down to what kind of, of a deal you can get him on, and whether you think he can really become a good shooter, like a almost forty percent three point shooter. All right, um, three games tonight, as we mentioned. By the time we talk again. There will also have been game fours played in all these series. Um, so let's see. Well, I'll just ask you for a, a revised series preview rather than picking tonight's games. Cleveland, Indiana, um, when we talk next week, what, what's going to be happening? What's going to be the general feel with that series? Um, well, game four will be played by then, right? Sunday. Yeah. I think um, I think it will be. I think it will be tied up. Or play, Pacers would be ahead. I, I mean, they're going to Indiana. I mean, Cleveland can't even can't barely hold their home court. Um, so I think, I think it'll. I don't think it'll be too much different. The vibe of the series, like I think this one will go down to the wire yep. for the whole time. I think it comes back two two. Yeah, I think the Cavs squeak out one win and probably get yeah kind of get blown out in one of them, <laughs> probably tonight. Uh, Toronto, Washington. Is this over by early next week? All I, these, all these game fours are also on Sunday. Okay. Um, I think, I think Washington will win one at home. 
Okay. Um, but I don't really envision them winning more than one. I'm going to go Toronto in four. I think Toronto wins okay. tonight, and then Washington just throws in the towel for game four. This, this doesn't <laughs> seem like a super resilient, let's get mm. one for the, for the coach <laughs> type of team. Uh, all right, Boston-Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee will win one at home. Okay. I really do. Um, yeah. I, I mean, Giannis is there any chance this turns out? I two, was talking two. to our uh, – actually, I think I might have been talking to you, and I don't even know who I was talking to. I was talking to someone about that, that 2010 – Fear the Deer Bucks Hawks series, where the Bucks fell down 0-2, clawed their way back in, ended up forcing a game seven, ultimately got completely blown out in Atlanta in game seven. Um Is that but the it, non-Bogut series. Right. That was after Bogut's elbow blew up. Okay. Um Gods of Reach, I believe, started that series at center. He was a staple uh, that for was, a while. That was the John Salmons year. Mm. The year. The um, year. I remember that. But I remember having very similar feelings after game two. Cause like, I mean, that Bucks team closed the, like closed the season after the all-star break on some crazy run Jennings was playing well you know they didn't have a talent like Giannis but I remember being like thoroughly disappointed that they had they had gotten beaten down in games one and two and you know going into game three it was like man they're just gonna fold this is it you know and that Hawks team was actually good Jamal Crawford uh, Josh Smith when mm-hmm. he was still a thing that that type of team Marvin Williams right Marvin Williams Zaza I think maybe I believe so um but the Bucks ended up clawing back in and, like I said, forcing it to seven. I wouldn't bet on that with this Bucks team, um, but anything is possible when you have the best player in the series by a pretty good margin. Yeah, I just um, I keep remembering like that first home game the Bucks played against Toronto, and how obviously like and Toronto had their own issues, but right. like. The home court advantage that game, like the crowd was absolutely insane. They almost shut them out for like an entire quarter. Yeah, that game. I yeah. mean that was that was complete chaos. So I, um, I don't want to, uh, like I just can't get it out of my head. Like that Bucks home court advantage, I think is very real. Um, I know Giannis, Giannis loves the home court. I think everybody does. Um, so I think I really think they can pull one out at home. If not, if not both, um, because yeah, people. As much as, you know, Bucks basketball hasn't been uh, a staple of the state, you know, mm-hmm. for a long time, now people really come out, and right. I think the home court advantage matters. I think a lot a lot of fans, like, love to hate this team. Yeah, This has that's been a very, very hateable, like, pretty good team <laughs> all year. Um, and honestly, I mean, a lot of it's going to hinge. Like, this whole season is going to hinge on tonight. If they come out flat again and get yeah, blown it's... out at home by 10 or 15 like it's it's over sunday's atmosphere would be pretty pretty rough i think right um but yeah i mean they're the, they're the more talented team i think yeah. that's hard to debate at this point they certainly haven't played like it um but law of averages says bledsoe has to play better you think and if he gives them even like a slightly below average effort in game one this is this is a one-one series and we'd be talking about it a lot differently right